back to Takes by the Lake from Cleveland.com. I'm Doug Maurice. Haven't been around for a while, but we're back. I'll explain that in a second with a great guest. We're going to continue to talk about the NFL draft because I love to do it, and I love the guest we have today. His name is Warren Sharp. You can find him on Twitter, at Sharp Football, and he caught my eye and probably caught your eye with uh, a post he did on March 6th about the draft capital the Browns have for 2018 and how it is not just a lot of picks, not just a lot of high picks. It's basically historic. Um, It's well more than twice the average draft capital that a team has in the draft. And so I called Warren. Um, it's, It's definitely the most draft capital he wrote since the modern era, since 1993. That's that's how many picks, how many high picks the Browns have. So we talked about that. And again, I've, I've figured this out as I've been doing this. I'm not balanced here. Like this is, I this may as well be called like the Sashi Brown podcast. And I'm fine with that. And it's not about looking backward, but it's about understanding where the Browns are in this draft and what they can do. And they can do some truly great things, I think, in this draft. And I want to address some of that before we get to Warren. Uh, But Warren is really interesting just putting in clear numerical context what the Browns have a chance to do in this draft because it is so unusual. So I think you'll enjoy our about 25-minute interview with Warren Sharp. Again, follow him at Sharp Football. But I wanted to tell you guys why I hadn't done a podcast in a little while. Um, it's just one of those things I think, you know, people wonder what's up. You're, you're not around for a bit. What's going on? Why aren't you doing what you said you were going to do? So my dad died uh, last week. And so he'd been sick for a little while, um, went back to Pennsylvania uh, for his funeral. And that's why I hadn't been writing as much for a couple weeks. I've missed this podcast for a couple weeks. Um, the family's okay. We're at peace with it. This was um, not a surprise. It was what was best for him. He was the guy who... Uh, since I've been a sports writer, has been the guy who calls you up on the phone and reads everything you write. And uh, so that's my dad, Leo. He'll certainly be missed. Um, I don't know if I don't think he was a podcast guy. More of an old school newspaper guy. I read like two newspapers every day. So um, that's why I haven't been around. But now I'm back. Now I'm back. I'm ready to go. We have more good guests lined up um, for the coming weeks, and we're gonna keep hammering the Browns draft because that's what I find interesting. And there's one point I want to make um, since talking to Warren, but before we get to Warren, I I feel like there is some consternation with people because there's so many ways this draft could go for the Browns. But here's the point I I just want to make, and maybe you understand this already and you don't need to hear it, but but maybe there are some people who do need to hear it. And I've, I've kind of been saying this at times along the way, like, please don't fight about the draft because there are so many ways that this can go very well for the Browns. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for some playmakers, either at running back or receiver, with those second-round picks or using some of those second-round picks in a package to move up into the first round to have three first-rounders like they did last year with David and Joku, I definitely think that could happen. I think there's some corners they could get there. But here's the main thing, at one and four. 
It's easy to look back at past drafts and see failure, and easy to look at the current draft prospects and see promise, and think, oh, well, everybody in the past screwed up, and this draft's going to be great. Um, and because it's easy to do, that's what I'm doing right now. But I just want to explain this. I think with Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosen, you have three different, interesting, viable franchise quarterbacks to choose from, and you're going to get one. Please don't take Josh Allen. And then with Bradley Chubb at defensive end, Minka Fitzpatrick at corner slash safety, and Saquon Barkley at running back, you have three elite talents at valuable positions that the Browns could use. Now, maybe you say, well, maybe they don't need Chubb. They just drafted Miles Garrett. They have Emmanuel Ogba. They have Carl Nassib. Um, they have some good defensive tackles. But certainly there's an opportunity there where you could go nuts with the idea of having Miles Garrett and Bradley Chubb on the field together. So that's certainly a possibility. Minka Fitzpatrick would address a lot of needs in the secondary and seems like a guy who is the total package on and off the field, and they certainly need help there. And then you know the deal with Saquon Barkley, and we, you can argue if he should be in consideration for number one. I still think there's a, a, a decent chance he'll be there at four, and I don't think in the end the Browns will end up taking him number one. But if the Browns would decide that they know, 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 know for a fact that they can get their quarterback at four because, let's say, they, they want Mayfield and they just know that Mayfield's not going in the top three picks and they want to take him at four and they want to get Barkley and Mayfield, then I'm okay with that. Now, if someone jumps up to three and takes Mayfield out from under you, that's a problem. But you've got to be able to play the poker game a little bit at times and get it right. So I think there are many ways for this to succeed. And here's the point. I think there are a lot of recent drafts where if the Browns had number one and number four, they would not nearly be in the position they're in right now. This is a good draft to have number one and number four. And particularly, I wanted to go back to 2013, which is the draft that John Dorsey had the number one pick in Kansas City. That year, John Dorsey didn't really have a quarterback to take. There was no quarterback there. The Chiefs needed a quarterback. They ended up trading for Alex Smith, but that's because there was no quarterback to draft. That year, the first seven picks were three tackles, three defensive ends, and a guard. The first game-breaking skill guy off the board was Tavon Austin at pick number eight. The first and fourth picks that year were Eric Fisher at number one to the Chiefs offensive tackle and Lane Johnson offensive tackle to the Eagles at four. Obviously, if the Browns had one and four in that draft, you're not taking two offensive tackles, but they would have ended up taking someone like Eric Fisher and then... Ezekiel Ansah at defensive end, who's been a good player, but that's what you would have been looking at because just the opportunity wasn't there. To me, would not have been a great draft to have pick number one and pick number four. The next year, 2014 draft. This is the draft where everyone talks about the Raiders getting their defensive star and franchise quarterback in Khalil Mack and David Carr. We know the Browns had the number four pick in that draft and traded out of it, and the Bills took Sammy Watkins, and now Sammy Watkins is a guy who four years later is on the market and is available. But that year, if the Browns had wanted a quarterback and been in this spot, and then wanted another 
influential player. First pick that year was Jadavion Clownley. Blake Bortles didn't last till four. He was the first quarterback off the board at number three. So your picks that year could have been Clowney and Watkins at one and four. If if you really wanted a quarterback, you could have taken your quarterback at one. Maybe you take Bortles at one or take Teddy Bridgewater or Johnny Manziel or Derek Carr at one. Certainly if you had pulled off your quarterback and then Khalil Mack at four, that would have been pretty good. Take your quarterback at one, Khalil Mack at four, that would have worked. But again, there are some guys in there, Blake Bortles, Sammy Watkins, Greg Robinson, the offensive tackle at two was a bust. I feel like the group that's available, these top six guys, I think I'd take 2018 over 2014. 2015 draft. First pick, Jameis Winston. Fourth pick, Amari Cooper. So you had Winston and Marcus Mariota at the top of the draft. The Browns would have picked between them as their quarterback. And then picking fourth, you got Cooper at four. Brandon Scherf at offensive tackle at five. He's been a good player. Leonard Williams, defensive end at six. He's been a good player. Vic Beasley went to the Falcons at number eight. He's been a good player. But Winston and Mariota have been have flashed, but also haven't been consistently great. Winston in particular, Mariota looks pretty good. So say you get a quarterback and you end up with Amari Cooper or Vic Beasley or Todd Gurley, who went number 10, I think this draft can be better than that. I think this draft with the quarterbacks and other people can be better than that. So definitely better than 13 I think better than 14. I think better than 15. 2016 draft. You've got Goff and Wentz at the top. The Browns obviously had the number two pick and traded out. Fourth pick was Ezekiel Elliott. So the Browns had 1-4 that year. They could have taken their quarterback, chosen between Goff and Wentz, and then picked Ezekiel Elliott fourth or Jalen Ramsey at corner. I think it's a very similar choice to this draft. That in the end, um, and Joey Bosa went number three, um, at defensive end. I think that's very, very similar to this draft. The first five players in that draft have all been Pro Bowl players. Goff, Wentz, Bosa, Elliott, Ramsey. And if you said that the Browns could have two of those five players, you'd go crazy. And I think that's what you're looking at here. Think about Goff and Wentz and think about the two top quarterbacks in this draft, whichever two you like. Bosa is Bradley Chubb, Ezekiel Elliott is Saquon Barkley, and Jalen Ramsey is Micah Fitzpatrick. That's what you're looking at. And right now, if you said the Browns could have their pick of Goff or Wentz, plus Bosa, Elliott, or Ramsey, how would you feel about that? You would think that you are changing your franchise. That's what's here. That is a very similar draft to right now. The, the Browns traded out from that to create this opportunity. And that's what you're looking at. So as you think about this draft, as you think about the quarterback you want, plus either Chubb, Barkley, or Fitzpatrick, pretend they're Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, and Jalen Ramsey. And think about how that makes you feel and what that might do for the Browns. 2017 draft last year, top four. You got Garrett at number one, 
Mitch Trubisky, two. Solomon Thomas, three. Leonard Fournette, four. I think Barkley's better than Fournette. I think most people do. Corey Davis at five is a receiver that I think ended up being overdrafted. Jamal Adams, a safety at six. People liked him. Mike Williams, receiver at seven. Injury problems. Christian McCaffrey at eight. This is better. This is undoubtedly better. So I think 13, 14, 15, 17. That's four recent drafts where this draft is a better time for the Browns to have one and four. And 2016 gives you the blueprint of what you're talking about. That's where the Browns are. You can have your opinion on what you would like. But right now, if you're fighting, right? If you're fighting with people and some people want to go Barkley at one and 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 take a quarterback at four and other people say, no, I want to take Sam Darnold at one and then I don't care. I don't want Barkley. I want either a premium position like Fitzpatrick or Chubb at four. What you're arguing over is whether you want Wentz and Bosa or Wentz and Elliott or Goff and Ramsey or whatever. And all of them are right. So we're going to talk to Warren Sharp. But think about this as you still meander through this draft prelude. I think it's very possible that no matter what the Browns do, all of the choices are right. And that is a tremendous situation to be in. We'll come back after a quick break and get to Warren Sharp. And Warren Sharp's going to make one very salient point. They could have taken Carson Wentz two years ago. They could have taken Deshaun Watson last year. As you think about the position the Browns are in, think about this. I know a lot of people think they should have done that. And you're not wrong. You're not right, but you're not wrong. It's certainly a valid opinion. But right now, if the Browns had taken Carson Wentz or Deshaun Watson, they would be entering this season with one first-round pick, with two second-round picks and a starting quarterback coming off a torn ACL. And Warren Sharp is going to make a point about why the Browns not yet having their franchise quarterback and building this roster with Miles Garrett and this offensive line and the linebacker core and some of the other things they've done why that is a better idea, and why the idea that you're going to wind up with one of these rookie quarterbacks who's going to be in a five-year window with his rookie contract versus right now the Browns, who would not have made the playoffs either the last two years with Wentz or Watson. You're going to have a rookie quarterback with a five-year window versus having Carson Wentz coming into his third year of his five-year rookie contract or Deshaun Watson coming into his second year of his five-year rookie contract. And Warren Sharp's going to tell you why the Browns are better off right now by building that roster and then getting the quarterback in terms of strategically setting up a window of opportunity to win while they have a high-talent young quarterback on a very reasonable rookie contract. Quick break, and then we're coming right back with Warren Sharp. Thanks to you guys for listening to Takes by the Lake from Cleveland.com. Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices. 
unexpected expenses, prescription costs, rising heat costs. Those are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table. That can often result in hunger, but this is where you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals for hungry people in Northeast Ohio. So right now, go to harvestforhunger.org and donate. That's harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. All right, Warren, so I found um, the, the analysis you did the other day on the Browns draft class um, and, and what the, they built here with the picks they had. So interesting. For people who didn't see it, we'll make sure we reference it for them. But can you just explain not to people the degree that, that it's not just that the Browns have a lot of picks and a lot of high picks in this draft. It's basically historic, is it not? Yes, absolutely. It's, it is historic because... This is the first time in the modern era um, that we have seen as much draft commodity owned by one team heading into the draft. So first, let's define what is draft commodity. Uh, there was a concept that uh, draft pick commodity sort of was introduced by Jimmy Johnson way, way back in the day of the Dallas Cowboys to evaluate how trades would work in the draft and how much a certain pick is worth compared to lower picks and things of that nature. Um, and that's been improved over the years. And a guy named Chase Stewart uh, assigned point values with a more analytical approach than what Jimmy Johnson did. And so by that nature, you can actually assess you know, how much value a certain team has by what is their pick overall in the draft. So they've got the number one, the number four. Each of those has a unique point value. You sum up all the draft picks that Cleveland has, obviously 12 in the draft, because they've got 117.5 total draft points in the 2018 NFL draft. That is 162% above the NFL average this upcoming year. The NFL average always is 44.8 draft points. But in terms of some more historical uh, elements, not only, like I said before, the most of any team in the modern era, which dates back to 1993, it's the third most of all time dating back to when the AFL and NFL merged back in 1970. So since 1970, it's the third most of any single team in history. So then this begs the question, Warren, is this smart? Is it smart to sort of trade down and do what they did in acquiring the extra second rounder in the Brock Osweiler deal? And again, I think people know that this draft capital um, is realized through first the Carson Wentz trade, and then on top of that, the Deshaun Watson trade, trading out of those two spots the last two years. Is it smart to, to put yourself in a situation where you have so much capital in a draft? I think on, on first glance, it would be like, yeah, that's good. You have a lot to work with. Or is there any downside to that, that maybe you're putting all your eggs in one basket of one draft and and that maybe somehow there could be, maybe that maybe it's not the smartest thing. Or is this only good to for a bad team to build up and have this much draft capital? 
Personally, I think it's good. Obviously, you've had to endure a very brutal last couple of years to get to this point. But the fact that there's multiple things that go into it. Number one, um, the offer that was given to the Browns last year for uh, you know Deshaun Watson, of course, that was something that they looked at. They evaluated where they were going to be sitting at that spot in the draft and decided that they wanted to have the picks heading into this upcoming year. Um, And one of the main reasons why uh, was because of the quarterback class this year. If you remember where we were at this time last year, there was a lot of discussion about that the cover being very bare in terms of the quarterback talent. And we all know, Sashi knew this, that to win in the NFL, you have to have a quarterback. And it was very undecided as to what the quarterback class would be. Obviously, uh, they had the number one overall pick last year, and that was a slam dunk uh, in terms of what most people thought that they should do with that. And they, they started on the defensive side of the ball and drafted a player who should help the Browns for many years. But when you go and you're looking at how my team is going to be developed, will I be able to insert a rookie quarterback who will have success? Um, the answer, I believe, last year was, we're not quite there yet. Um, we're not quite there. And so I think the moves that they made allowed them to be in a position this year to have multiple picks early on in this draft to be able to select from a much more impressive quarterback class. We have more dynamic talent here. You've got multiple pro-style quarterbacks that you can choose from. You've got guys who are a little bit more mobile that you could choose from. So there are guys in this draft um, in the who will be going in the picks that the Browns have, who are going to be franchise caliber quarterbacks uh, for years to come, and that's what you have to build around. So what they did in the past was to acquire talent, bring in pieces, improve the offensive line, start working on the defense in order to bring in a quarterback who would then hopefully thrive. Now, thrive is going to mean that a lot of different things are going to have to happen. But if you look at what many teams have done, many teams who have had success in terms of winning the Super Bowl, they've been able to do so in the rookie deal of a NFL quarterback. Yeah. By that I mean, if you take a, the first round, you got five years to work with, pretty much. And you look at when Carson Wentz, who led his team to the Super Bowl in year two of his rookie deal. Russell Wilson led his team to a Super Bowl win in year two of his rookie deal. Joe Flacco, year five of his rookie deal. Eli Manning, year four of his rookie deal. Ben Roethlisberger, year two of his rookie deal. These players, they had talent there. They continue to improve it, the quarterback's rookie season, and by year two, year three, year four, they were ready to contend for a title. It makes sense to me, and it's funny funny when people talk about, um, you know, trading down has kind of been a dirty word in Cleveland the past couple years. I almost want to remind people that actually, with the pick last year, they traded up. They, They turned the 12th pick into what is now the fourth pick. And then also got a pick in the 20s that they used to take Jabril Peppers. So I know people are frustrated with trading down, but sometimes I, when you hear that from people, it's like, well, if you're frustrated with it, like just give up the, the number four pick then because that's how you get to this situation, which leads me to the next question, Warren. And the thing that I think is so interesting about this, there's a lot of ways they could go with the individual players. And we obviously know that individual player evaluations is what it's all about in the NFL. You get yourself into into positions to acquire guys, but then you've got to acquire the right guy. But the thing I'm wondering here, if you had this draft capital, 
Would you think about trading down with either number one or number four, given what is there at the top of the draft and given the possibility that there may be other teams who are picking maybe in the top 10, let's say, who would like to get up to one or four to get a quarterback? Would you think this is another chance to maybe maximize some deals and trade down a little bit and maybe get some more future number one picks? Personally, um, as an outsider who doesn't live in Cleveland, so I don't have to live with the repercussions necessarily of, of having another season if it doesn't go the right way, what my perspective would be is this. I use the number one pick. This was a plan for a while now. We are building our core team. I'm going to use that on a quarterback, and I'm not going to have anybody else dictate to me what quarterback I'm taking based upon what they end up happening to do. We also have seen a lot of teams that have been willing to mortgage a lot of things to come up into the top of the draft to take a quarterback that they happen to like. Um, And so I'm not willing to risk that. I'm going to use my number one. However, my number four, I am certainly more than willing to listen to offers for the number four pick. I mean, I'm going to listen to offers for either pick, to be honest with you, but I'm probably making the number one pick. Um, I would be completely fine with moving around depending on my evaluation of the players in the draft, my need as a team, and what I think my coaching staff is going to be, uh, is going to suit what they're looking to do best. Uh, with that number four pick, and maybe it is uh, moving down later in the first round and taking another pick next season, um, or maybe it's you know some other scenario. But I'm absolutely willing to listen to the number four. I think the way that Sashi set things up, and granted he's no longer there, he worked very hard to ensure that this team was going to be able to select a quarterback in this draft. I think that's what their target was, to get their franchise quarterback right here. Uh, A lot of people talk about Deshaun Kaiser last year as a second-round pick. They wasted a second-round pick on him. The fact of the matter is he was their fourth pick in the draft. This quarterback that they're probably going to take here is going to be potentially the number one overall pick in the draft, their first pick, obviously. I'm going with a franchise quarterback, and then I'm listening for offers. Um, And if anything, anybody blows me away, I'm going with it. If not, then I'm going to select another great player this year. My expectation, Warren, for the Browns in this draft is basically own the draft. And and the reason I say that is I feel like with how high their picks are and the number of picks they have – There's just a lot of flexibility to move down, to move up. You know, I know I know it might drive people crazy, but I certainly can see. I could certainly see a scenario where you move down from from four to six, but then you also jump up from um, thirty three at the top of the second round into the twenties to get a guy you like. There, that the way they did with David and Joku last year, winding up with three, with three first round picks a year ago. When you talk about this kind of historic draft capital, what do you think it does within the confines of the draft in terms of giving John Dorsey and this front office the ability to make offers, receive offers, target players they want? and maybe find a way to get a lot of those guys because they can move around as opposed to if you have a first-round pick, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, it's harder to be flexible. Do you think the Browns should be able, with that flexibility and the capital, to own the draft? Is that a reasonable expectation? 
I think they should definitely be able to dictate what the, what happens in this draft based upon the fact that they're drafting high. They've got a couple of picks very high, and they've got a lot of picks throughout. So they can do a lot of different things here. One of the things that you have to consider what, what New England dealt with as well is you can only, you only have so much room for, for players on your team, right? So you can't just go through and utilize every single pick, especially when you've traded down, you know, turn one pick into two, turn two picks into four, whatever the case may be you're not going to be able to just draft every single one of those players and expect that they're going to contribute and be on your roster. So, of course, there are going to be certain situations where you will want to build uh, for the 2019 draft. But I think it's important and paramount to understand that the Cleveland Browns, as we were discussing, this window of opportunity, the reason why there's such a window of opportunity in a quarterback's rookie rookie uh, deal is because of that slotted salary that they're going to be getting based on the cap. There's not a whole lot of negotiation anymore on these contracts. And so you have this great window where your quarterback is going to be slotted in there and you're not going to have to break the bank like so many teams out there are doing right now. What that means is you have to optimize your talent for the next five seasons to put yourself in the best position to win now so that you don't have to do what Russell, uh, what happened to Russell Wilson, where the Seahawks have to pay Russell Wilson a ton, their offensive line gets a lot cheaper, their defense, they can't hold on to all those guys, and then we see them sort of falling apart. Same thing with Baltimore and Joe Flacco, when you have to pay him in that year two deal, season one, and the offense sort of falls apart because you're allocating so much money to that quarterback position. They've got a great opportunity right now, which is why I think they need to get the guys they want, coach the guys they want, and try to build... Yes, you want to get players for, for next year, too, some picks, but you have to acquire enough pieces that will fit on your roster now in terms of the overall number of players that you can keep and don't draft players you're not going to be able to keep, let's say, but in order to maximize this window of winning a Super Bowl within the next five years. And I'm not so sure about the coaching staff there, but I'm pretty confident they put one of the uh, top quarterbacks there with the run defense that they had last year and improve some other things on this roster, that they're going to be able to be a lot closer to contention than people think just because they went 0-16 last year. You, with this, you seem to be making a persuasive case to me, maybe explaining it the best that I've heard someone explain it, to why you build your roster first and then draft your quarterback and here's what I mean. If they had drafted Carson Wentz with that number two pick, and Carson Wentz was now entering his third season in Cleveland, and let's assume that the last two years would have been better than what they were, but they still certainly, with what they had here, would not have been a playoff contender at all. And, and let's say many of the other things were similar, though. Let's say they still somehow got Miles Garrett, and they still spent money on the offensive line and those kind of things. The way you're explaining this, they would now be in a situation where Carson Wentz is entering year three. So you're in the third year of this five-year window of the rookie contract, and you have 18, 19, and 20 to get this done and maximize this opportunity before you end up having to pay, if your quarterback is good and you want him to be good, pay your quarterback a huge salary, which affects your salary cap flexibility elsewhere. As opposed to right now, if you draft... Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield, I'm not going to say Josh Allen, but if you draft one of those guys, you're in year one, not year three. You have a better team built around him, 
And and am I am I hearing you the right way? It sounds like you're advocating for that. That you're saying that's a more sensible long term plan, and maybe a new for for people out there who wanted them to take Carson Wentz. It's an additional thing to think about that you want your roster to be as good as it can be for that five years. And if Carson Wentz was entering year three in Cleveland right now, they basically would have wasted the first two years because we know this roster would not have been good enough to be a playoff team with Carson Wentz. That was me just talking a lot, but am I getting you right? You're absolutely uh, right on the money with that. Look, the, the Carson Wentz, um, great player as he is, your, your roster was nowhere near where Philadelphia's roster was. Your coaching is nowhere near where Philadelphia's coaching was. And, and therefore, you would be, I mean, I don't like doing the draft revisionist history, but if we're going to do it, at least discuss it, you're now here in entering year three. You would probably not have won a Super Bowl yet like Philadelphia did. You have a quarterback who's coming off of an ACL injury in, entering year three, and your, the rest of your roster is still basically where it is right now. Um, and I don't know that that's Super Bowl caliber yet, but with the draft class that you have right now, five years from this year onward, with a new quarterback to be able to build around them. Look, we've seen so many different teams that, like I just mentioned, my strategy, if I'm building the only other quarterbacks who have won Super Bowls since the 2011 Super Bowl, um, so we're looking at basically six Super Bowls, have been either Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or a guy on his rookie deal, whether okay. it's Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson, or Joe Flacco. That's basically what we're talking about, I mean, in the modern era. So that is, you don't have a Tom Brady. You don't have a Peyton Manning. Um, you don't have an Aaron Rodgers who won it back when the, the salary cap was uncapped in 2010. What you have is, uh, what you need to do in terms of winning a Super Bowl is getting that rookie in there, coaching him up getting a system around that's going to give him confidence. Uh, I think that's a big thing that we may or may not have to dive into in detail, but it's very important for this quarterback to have an extremely good experience year one. I was personally, from an outsider's perspective, not in love with the strategy and approach that Hugh Jackson took with Deshaun Kaiser in terms of asking him to just step in day one and make all the throws in the NFL and execute just the way that he would if he was asking uh, Tom Brady or Carson Palmer or Ben Roethlisberger to assess and read defenses and execute that offense. The ways that work, the strategies that work, are things that the Philadelphia Eagles did with Carson Wentz and Nick Foles in terms of making easy reads for them, coaching to their strengths, getting them to do simple things and doing those simple things well, and having key reads on the defense so that you know how to optimize your attack for this defense on a weekly basis. There's the types of things that we ultimately ended up seeing happen with Deshaun, um, with Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. not week one, not week two, not even week three. But after a few games, Bill O'Brien saw his struggles and saw what he needed to do to maximize him and adapted his offense so they could maximize Deshaun Watson's strength. I don't even know if you guys took Deshaun Watson last year, if he would have seen anywhere near that level of success, because I'm not sure that the coaching staff would have adapted the offense enough to maximize these quarterback strengths. These are young, young players. These are young men entering the NFL. You need to give them good experiences, give them confidence. Obviously, you're coaching them, and you can be hard on them if you need to be, but you have to prime them not to win right now, but to win and develop the characteristics of winning 
over this next couple of years so that they put themselves in a confident position to win in year two, three, or four, something like that. Boy, this is some good stuff. I, I, since we have you, Warren, and it's like everyone seems to have an opinion on this, I, I love the way, and I think that the strategy, the poker game, the, the kind of stuff that, that we're talking about with the acquisition of, of these assets is so interesting to me. I kind of wish that Sashi was around because I think, I think he could really maximize, for instance, that number four pick by probably being open to trading back, but then maybe trading up and, and really, again, maximizing the value there. Um, but before we let you go, what would you do? Do you have any strong opinions on the players in this draft in terms of the quarterback you think the Browns should take? Or, again, you don't know what the offers might be there, but are you a Saquon Barkley guy? Are you a Minka Fitzpatrick if Bradley Chubb's there at four? Um, or how open would you be to trading down? Just if, if you were in John Dorsey's shoes, what would you be thinking about right now in terms of the first pick, the fourth pick, and then maybe what you'd be thinking about with how to best use those second rounders. Yeah, I definitely think um, it's it's vital to get the quarterback with your first pick. And in terms of the class out there right now, um, I have severe concerns about Josh Allen. I know you mentioned him earlier. It's not just some of the things that we've heard, but you know that their team last season decided to go extremely run-heavy as opposed to many of the other teams with these top quarterbacks like UCLA, like Louisville, like Oklahoma, like even USC. Those teams had great quarterbacks there, and they allowed those quarterbacks to try to win games. In Wyoming, we saw a team that was almost like hiding Josh Allen a little bit. They were much more run-heavy. Their run offense was terrible, yet they continued to run the football. It's either the offensive coordinator's fault or he was trying to cover up for some issues that you know Josh Allen was having there. So I've got question marks there. At the number four pick, I would be fine with trading out. I don't have a strong opinion as to who I think they should take. In terms of discussing Saquon Barkley, obviously he seems to be um, – you know, a, a, a transcendental, like a, a lifetime type player. Uh, but we haven't seen him execute a number of areas of the game, right? He didn't have to do a lot of pass protection. Um, he didn't do a whole lot of running inside, which is what a lot of uh, running backs are asked to do. But what I love about him is his receiving ability. And I personally believe if you're drafting a running back as high as somebody is probably going to draft Barkley, much like if you're paying Le'Veon Bell $15 million a year, you have to try to approach that with the goal of maximizing his lifetime opportunity in your city by giving him easier touches on the ball, where mm. he's not going to get hit quite as much. He's not going to have guys flying around his knees and his lower extremities. So you're going to be trying to, in my opinion, throw more passes to this player anyways. They're matchup nightmares. Running back passes are the most efficient pass that a quarterback can throw in terms of the overall success rate on these passes. Not only that, they are the most successful target that you can throw when a quarterback is being pressured. Um, The success rate for that, especially the interception rate, is significantly better throwing the ball to a running back if your quarterback's under pressure than it is trying to throw the ball to a wide receiver. And I'm doing some studies on that uh, as we speak, and then I'll come out in my book later this summer. But the bottom line is, I love Saquon Barkley and what he brings to this team. I would not be adverse to possibly looking at him number four, uh, but you have to know how you're going to utilize him. If they're not going to utilize him enough as a receiver, um, then I don't, I'm not interested because that's the only way that you're going to get any type of value out of him 
uh, over these next several years. And if you can pair him with a, with a top quarterback um, and you've got an offensive line and then you continue to improve the defense, I think both from a personal as well as a schematic and coaching perspective, they absolutely must do that. Um, there, there are some opportunities here. I still, and just in general, not all that sold on the coaching staff and their decisions on both sides of the ball. Uh, from what I've seen, especially last year, from player management to play calls to schematics, um, that I just think they need a lot of work there as well. It's not just a personnel side of things from a player perspective, but it's also personal from a coaching perspective that they will have to make some, I don't want, want to say, uh, adjustments, but whether it's acquisitions or adaptations in that grouping to try to maximize their ability to win that win in this window that they're going to have with this quarterback. You know, I think some people think I only have people on this podcast that I agree with, and I do. Warren Sharp questions Josh Allen, has questions about Hugh Jackson's coaching ability, and agrees with Sashi Brown's strategy. I love you, Warren Sharp, and that's why I wanted you on this podcast. I agree with basically everything that came out of your mouth for the past 25 minutes. Um, Warren, where can people, I know they can follow you at Sharp Football. What else can we plug for you before we let you go? Yeah, you can, uh, my stats website, it's a free visualized-based stats website, uh, which is unlike anything else out there on the internet from in terms of pro football stats. That's sharpfootballstats.com. That's a free-to-use stats website. And then I have my in-season analysis site where I write articles and I give out projections on the game. That's up at sharpfootballanalysis.com. So those are the two websites, and you already hit the Twitter. Very good. Warren, thank you so much for taking the time. I love the way you broke this stuff down for our listeners and analyzed it. And like I said, I agreed with everything you said, so that made it fun too. Warren, hope we can have you on again someday. I'd love to be there, and I wish all the guys making the decisions the best of luck. I'm looking forward to you guys turning it around. Very good. Warren Sharp, thank you very much. And that's it for this Takes by the Lake. Thanks to Warren Sharp for joining us. We'll be back next week with another great guest. I'm Doug Maurice. Read me at cleveland.com. Follow me on Twitter at D-O-U-G-L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time.